Hey everyone, Anna Lytle here. And Kat Pusey. And welcome Welcome to to the the Modern Farm and Artisan Co-op Podcast. We're here connecting you to the lives and stories of our local farmers, makers, and educators that are all dedicating themselves to positively and powerfully impacting the Southern Utah community. Today we are talking with Brett and Helena Chamberlain of Brett's Bees and Helena's Honey, who are based out of Washington, Utah, and keep their bees all around Washington County. So today we're going to gain some insight into how much it takes to maintain bees. Now they have about 300 hives. This is what they do full time. They started selling at the farmer's market two and a half years ago. And since then, they've been able to take on beekeeping as their full-time work. And because this conversation was so long, it went over two hours, we decided to break this up into two parts. So this week is part one, and then in two more weeks, we will have part two. All right, let's get talking with Brett and Helena. All right, so uh, give us some of your background. How did you end up with bees? You say that like it's fleas. Like, how did you end up with the the bees? No, you know, like, because you guys have a lot of bees. Yeah, we do. You you have a lot of bees. Uh, It's not just three hundred hives this summer. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it's not. It's not a hobby. It's not like oh, I just kind of ended up with like three things of bees, and I'm cool. It's it was a conscious decision. So, I'm like, how it it started out as a hobby for the, the first ten years. We went through a lot of hives, a lot of trial and error. Um, it, it, uh, they actually kind of found me. Um, my dad was a hobbyist beekeeper. He had, you know, two, three hives that he kept next to an orchard and didn't do much with them, just kind of left them there. But, uh, um, I went home from school, college and, uh, noticed that there was no activity and asked him about him. He said they died. And so I, I took some of the equipment with me to, to school and I was showing my roommates and uh, some of my friends, and we tried to get some of the honey out. And when I was done, we just left these empty boxes out behind the apartment, and <laughs> it, it, they still had honey. And I saw some bees coming in and out. I thought they were just when the honey was gone, the bees would go away too. And landlord showed up a few days later and was like, "You can't have bees out there." And I was like, "No, it's just an empty hive." He says, "Well, there's bees coming in and out." I says, "I think they're just after the honey." He says, "Well, let's go look." So I went and lifted the lid, and it was clear full with bees. <laughs> new honeycombs and I had just dropped like a, a bunch of the equipment just dropped it into the box so they built this big old mess of honeycomb and I closed it up and backed away and I was like what do I do he says I don't know that's not my problem <laughs> so they they kind of found me and I, I called my dad and um, got my first uh, you know education on beekeeping f- you know, over the phone from him he said well just go out after dark they'll all come in and I'll go inside and you just plug up the entrance and put it in the back of your truck and go find a farmer or knock on some doors and find somebody that will let you put it in their field. And I did. And I had found a nice little place next to Utah Lake and I had bees there while I was going to college. And I, I read every book I could get in the college library and the, all the local libraries up there, anything I could get and ordered some equipment and and uh, did it as a hobby for about 10 years. And uh, as about 2010, um, I was spending too much time on it and my wife, Helena, she, uh, she yeah, it was kind of a, me under the bus now. Yeah, no, it, it, it sorry was, that I made you responsible. 
it, it was a it was a, a joint. I was spending way too much time with the bees and not enough time with the family, and so we decided we would sell the the bees and get out of it. And the next spring. Uh, the flowers started blooming and I was running a landscape business at the time and I was seeing the bees and then I just got, I don't know, it was like spring fever. I couldn't help myself. And by the end of the season, I had like 15 hives again. And I'm, I'm, people would call me and I've got a swarm in my bush. Can you come get it? And I'd be like, oh, sure, I can't let them die. You know, I got to go get them. You know, I, I had like 15 hives by the end of the season and I just, she's like, you can't help yourself. You know, and we decided if you, if, if you, if you can't, if you can't beat it, we might as well embrace it. And we've started growing and trying to make a business out of it. And it's taken us about 10 years to where we could uh, let go of the yard care. Just, we've kind of downsized the yard care and upsized the bees over the years and so now now we're full-time beekeepers and when you say yard care you're not talking about your yard care you used to run a yard a yard landscape landscape business and so you when you met him he like was just like you know cute little college kid with some bees right so <laughs> one of the first times we went out on a date he took me like to where he had this he had a couple of beehives and we got out of the truck and we walked over and he was going to be this big tough guy and he lifted the lid without a suit neither of us had a suit he lifted the lid like to he's going to show me the inside of a beehive and bees started dive bombing his head by the hundreds like he instantly ran, ran back to the truck jumped in the truck and then he looked around and was like oh shoot she's still out there she and was, I was like what's his problem she's standing there next to the on? hive looking into the hive and I like a chicken I was so embarrassed though that I, I, I decided well I gotta get out and I, as soon as I opened the door they went right after my head again yeah. And, and I and I was I was like hostage in the car, and, and, I, and I realized that they were after my hair. I'd, I'd left this conditioner in for extra control, so I'd look good, and 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 so much for looking good. I ended up having to take a shopping bag from out from underneath the seat, tie it around my head, and, and so that I could get oh out of the gosh. car. And so I'm over there with this shopping bag on my head, you know, showing her the bees, and so messed up my hair, but. <laughs> you're just standing there. You're like, C- come on, man. Be still awesome. I'm in love. <laughs> this is the most romantic thing I've ever heard. <laughs> She's always been much braver with the bees than I was, especially early on. I I almost wrecked my truck one day when a, a bee flew in the window. <laughs> swinging and swatting. And she's like, what are you doing? You're a beekeeper. I, sorry. I forgot myself. And you you had never been around bees? My, my dad also had a few hives when I was a kid, so I had... I grew up in Southern California. He had some hives that he kept on top of a shed in our backyard. So sometimes at night, bees would be drawn to the light in the house, and there would be bees that would get on the light bulbs, those old light bulbs that got hot, and that would it would paralyze them or maybe even kill them, but then they'd fall on the carpet. But when you stepped on them, their stinger, I mean, because they just died. So I got stung quite a few times as a child in the house, but... I don't. I wasn't ever really involved with what my dad did with the bees. I mean, because it's kind of the same thing. He just had a few hives. I don't know. It must have been something like, to do with the late 70s, early 80s. Men at the time. <laughs> right? <laughs> Need a hive to call their own. Right? 
It, be, be, beekeeping, it, it's it's a fad that comes and goes. Right now, it's the last few years, it's been really big. People trying to save the bees and getting involved. And it, I, I heard from one of the uh, code enforcers that bees are the new chickens. Everybody's got them in their backyard, you know. So. Well, while we're on that, if you live in Washington County, can you have them in a neighborhood? I didn't think you were allowed to have them in I like Saint George on the city. It, it does depend on the city, uh, and uh, yeah, they most of them prohibit the the keeping of bees in in uh, in the city limits. But if your neighbors are okay with it, and, and I, I probably shouldn't say this on air, you know, like <laughs> to the public. <laughs> But generally, if your neighbors are okay with it and don't report you, the city doesn't give you a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's that's been my experience. I, I keep mine on, um, uh, technically, a lot of my hives are inside city limits, but they're on places that are uh, zoned for ag mm-hmm. uh, and agriculture use. So um, I haven't had any issues in that regard. You were not involved with your dad's beekeeping or anything like that? Uh, no, not at all. So then you knew that he had a couple hives. And then you go on a date with this guy, and and you're like, this is okay. Yeah. Like um, at that time, did you only have one or two hives, yeah, or just yeah. a couple okay. hives? Okay. I, yeah. I didn't know that. I I, well, I don't know that either of us knew when we got married that we would 20 years later be beekeepers. Less than 20 years later, we had it wasn't part of the plan. He was in school doing construction management as a oh, major, wow. and I had graduated from college. And you know, it wasn't until I'd done it as a hobby for nearly 10 years that it dawned on me that you could actually make a living with this. Right. I, I really didn't socialize very much with other beekeepers. I was pretty well self-taught, read a lot of books, uh, online videos and such, but um, it didn't even occur to me that you could make money with it. I never really tried to sell any of my honey. I rarely got honey. I, <laughs> so it, it makes sense. Try to make a living with something that you've... <laughs> I think there's something to be said about that, too, to just be passionate and experiment with something for... 10 years, you know, like getting that, like it's so many people go into a hobby to turn it into like, you know, they automatically put that pressure on it. Like, Oh, I'm going to get a couple bees and then I'm going to start selling my honey and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that instead of just being like, well, I just want to play around with my bees for a little while. I, I see a lot of guys that will do that. They, they see what you can sell honey for and what you can rent your bees out to orchards for. And they see dollar signs and they're like, oh, we're going to go get 30 or 40 hives and all this equipment. And they have no idea how to how to keep bees. Yeah. And it, I that was I, for, for me, that was I, I kind of wish I would have worked with a commercial beekeeper that did it for a living because it is different when you're keeping track of hundreds of hives and when you're you know, just have a couple of hives in your backyard. Um, but it, that, you know, I grew gradually and I, you know, I learned as I went and I, was, the first few years that we decided to do this as a business, it was like throwing mud against a wall and just hoping that something would stick. And we, we lost a lot of bees not knowing what we were doing, you know, but so, and that's, that's kind of bee, bees nowadays. It's, it's tough to keep them alive. It's my, my dad, he had those bees on his, uh, uh, next to his orchard for nearly 30 years did very little with them um, they were just there to pollinate the orchards and within just a couple of years of the varroa mite being introduced into the U.S. they collapsed and died and so and that's that ever since then that's the way 
beekeeping has been. You have to be on top of them, uh, you know, not literally, but <laughs> you, you, you've got to be involved. You need to be proactive and, and, and you need to educate yourself and, and uh, so that you can keep those bees healthy. So you said vermilicate? Varroa mite. And is that a spray or is that a, is that a disease? That's a a mite. That's a little parasitic mite that feeds on the bees at every stage of the bee's life. You know, from the time it hatches out as a little larva all the way up to uh, an adult bee, those mites will feed and um, feed on the bees. Now, is that introduced accidentally? Like that just came in on imported goods? I don't know if they know exactly how it got into the U.S. It wasn't supposed to have been in the U.S. It originally was in Asia and it existed for thousands of years on uh, other types of bees and they coexisted really well. But when it, it had some evolutionary change, it evolved, it adapted to where it could live on the type of honey bees that we use for honey production. And, um, they just don't have a resistance. And with how mobile our world is right now, instead of taking thousands of years for it to migrate and find its way to the U S and the bees being able to adapt and evolve within just a few years, it spread. And right now I think it's in every continent except for Australia. I don't know if Australia has the mite yet. And so for, for a long time, Australia was the only one that didn't have mites and they, they still might not, but what was there like one specific book or something that you read that you feel would be like some a go-to for people who want to get into beekeeping beekeeping for dummies no, yeah. <laughs> okay. I, the beekeeper's handbook um i think that's what it's called the beekeeper's handbook and there's like two or three uh, every few years they release an updated version because the industry has changed so much with the introduction of new parasites and diseases that they've had to write uh, new versions but um i think it is called the the beekeeper's handbook um that's the one that i i it's probably the most practical one but i bought it for him when we were dating or newly married as a like christmas gift like what do you give this guy give him a book about bees <laughs> what's the beekeeper the, the the bible the beekeeper's bible what, what was what's that the one called abc and xyz of beekeeping no I can't remember. There, there's one. It's it's like oh, six inches yeah. thick. It's this great big old hardback book that she got me, and I call it the. It's got everything in it, and it looks like a Bible. It looks like a Bible. It's a big fat big, big book. That's awesome. Well, I did have one question before. I, so, because you said that the mites are affecting the honeybee that we have here, is there's only one kind of bee that makes honey, right? Uh, no, there's actually quite a few different species of bees that make honey. There are, okay. Yeah, including um, the, the I don't, I can never pronounce the scientific names, the Apis mellifera, I think that's how it's pronounced. Anyways, it, it's uh, the, what was brought with the, uh, the pilgrims and the settlers and stuff, uh, the, the Europeans. Um, but there were honeybees here in the Americas before that, and they were actually a stingless variety of bee that lived in, uh, that still there in Central America. They look like, you know, big uh, flying ants, but they do produce honey. They're not as productive and they don't build a nice organized nest that allows you to harvest the honey. You kind of have to destroy the nest to get the honey out. Um, but there are a lot of different, everything, they, they go all the way, these little honeybees all the way down to the size of a gnat, all the way up to a big bumblebee size, you know, great big bees. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's actually um, 
a number of stingless uh, bees. Um, they're just not here in the States. There's, and then not all bees yeah. make honey either, right? There's only the select few that make the honey, and yeah. then there's the ones, there's like thousands that are just pollinators. Yeah, there are thousands that are just pollinators. They're solitary. They're they're not social insects. Some of them are kind of semi-social where they tend to congregate, nest in a uh, an area, but they're not quite as social as the the honeybee where they uh, they rely on each other to maintain temperature and humidity and and all that so an individual bee honeybee is is cold-blooded but as a group they're warm-blooded and so so they need the community yeah to they, survive they, have well, to have they all come from one mother queen in the hive there's no social distancing with honeybees they can't survive the more i learn about honeybees i'm like i really think i'm a bee like <laughs> I've seen the ones where they fall asleep in the flower with their butts out. Like They're like, we take a nap because we just need to nap because they eat so much. And I'm like, accurate. I can't remember what the name is of the bee. I don't know if they're here in the United States, but it's my son's favorite. They don't have a stinger. And the way they defend the females is they'll just bop you on the head. Like they'll run into you. And that's his, he learned about that on something. And that's like his favorite bee. He's just like, I'm just going to boop you on the head like a bee. That's so of funny. course your son has a favorite bee. <laughs> Do your kids have, are your kids into it? No. 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 Are they scared of them at all? Are uh, they? Yes. Yeah, we have we have five kids and some of them don't like honey at all. Won't eat honey at all. Serious. Um, we have one that's a poo bear and he would eat all the honey you would give him. The first time I sold creamed honey, he was with me and he tastes he wants a sample every time I give a sample and he was like, Mom, we gotta get some of this at home and I said, Buddy, we have this at home. I'll give you like we we have all the honey like all the creamed honey you need at home. But he had never tasted it because it was something new we did during that time. So yeah, we have some that, that like honey, some that don't like honey some that hate the bees some that like the bees all right and some that are just kind of indifferent some kids that are helpful towards the bee business and other ones like curse it every day and I just keep reminding them like this is how you have a bed this is how you have food this is how you have a house and clothes and everything that you have comes from the bees because that's all we do is bees yeah, the kids that don't like the bees, though, and don't want to help out with it, they're the same ones that don't like anything else. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just my bees. It's not just the bees. It's true. But it's the older ones. It's the older ones. It's the older yeah. ones that don't like it. Yeah. We, we, we do have a couple of them that are allergic to bees, and so they have a legit um, legitimate reason to not like the bees. But one of them that's allergic to bees doesn't mind the bees, even though she's been to the hospital before with the bee sting. And then we did an EpiPen and went to the hospital, and she she will walk near them. She is not afraid. She will help with anything. She will she label been a great all my product. She would have, yeah. That's probably way too risky for her to go into that, right? Yeah. It's one of those things. Um, she she does have a, an unusually uh, severe reaction to bee stings. And oftentimes, though, kids will grow out of it yeah. as they get older. I've and seen so that. That's interesting. There is a possibility. I know of a number of beekeepers that as children had severe allergic reactions. And then when they got older, they didn't have a problem with it. Um, I know a number of beekeepers, myself included, that had allergies um, and continued to keep bees. And uh, the more times I got stung, it well, I, it was progressive 
progressively getting worse. And I thought I'm going to have to either give it up or die, you know, doing what I love. And I continued to do it. And, um, it wasn't until uh, one year I had some really aggressive bees, and I didn't just get stung once, uh, uh, once in a while, but I was getting stung like twenty times a day when I would go work with the bees. So, and and it was at that point it was like my body didn't know what to do with that extra venom. I'd get stung once, my arm would swell up, my face would swell up, and I'd just keep working with them. I'd come come home and I'd just be like punch drunk with venom, and uh, just stagger in, you know. But by the end of the summer I didn't have I it was it progressively got better and after a few years now it's just it makes a little red dot yeah he, he's also been to the emergency room for a bee sting so and the doctor gave him a prescription for an EpiPen and when he went to the pharmacy and it was going to be like three hundred dollars he was like well I might just die then like <laughs> I don't have insurance I don't have this was 10 12 years ago but he was just like I I can't spend that much money on an EpiPen, so... That you might use, like, every day. Oh, right? And then I'm going to still have to go to the... There. <laughs> then I'm still going to have to go to the ER, and I can't afford that either, so we'll just take our chances on not having an EpiPen. And he got over it, so... <laughs> he got over it! Not recommended. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Okay. What are the benefits of local honey? Well, for one, you're supporting something local. So you're, you know, you meet your beekeeper, you know where your product's coming from. We invite people to come out and see our facility, see our hives, see where we process our honey. Um, and we do that at our home. Um, the other benefits of local honey is that our raw, local, unfiltered honey has pollen in it. So a lot of people will use local honey for allergy relief and it's kind of a desensitization process of eating the honey every day so that your body gets used to that pollen that's causing seasonal allergies um, so that's the besides supporting local is the benefit of a raw local honey know where your stuff comes from and allergy relief so we have probably the majority of our customers that return and buy honey from us it's because it does help them with seasonal allergies now that's not a guarantee that it will help everyone because nothing not everything that helps one person is going to help every person but it is worth a try and what do you have to lose with eating some delicious honey yes, right delicious. yes right i buy a tub of it every single week now she does <laughs> did you get <laughs> she is she are online yes. yeah order she, every week yeah she gets the she rotates back and forth i've never seen anybody buy as much honey as she does except for me and she i'm like wow you because only monty eats it in my house i tell you i was like he goes through that five pound thing like none, like so fast. But now Ira's finally starting to eat it too. So we're going to get to the point where we go through five pounds every two weeks. But her family of four, they eat it on everything, all four of them. Well, and I'm putting it on everything. Like I'm trying to cook with it, like all my baking and stuff now. Uh-huh. And I love it. It's so good. My son will just stick his finger in there, like in the whole thing and pull it out. And he's just like drizzling in his mouth. I'm like, you're a mess. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a poo bear too. Yes. That's cute. He loves it. I like that you guys call him Pooh Bears. Okay. Well, then you kind of have also talked about this a little bit, but then why are bees important 
in general? I actually teach uh, uh, youth youth programs, homeschool groups, and uh, I've been out to Staley Farms. That was it the fourth graders that have the field trips out there every year. Um, and uh, when when I have groups of kids that I'm talking to about bees, I ask them, you know, what do we get from bees? And their hands all go up, and we we get honey and we get pollen. And I said, well, what else do we get? And then we'll you know we'll, we'll eventually they catch on and they they we start getting things like apples and and things that the bees pollinate and our food is so interconnected there's very little that isn't tied to the bee industry um you know yeah i asked them like well, what about a carrot you know d- does a carrot come from a bee and you know does does it need to be pollinated it grows as a root underneath the ground and and and, it, and it's not from a, a flower but and they're like oh it doesn't need to be and I, oh, actually it does carrots and onions um come from a seed which is in turn pollinated by a bee and so uh, even your a lot of your 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 meats and your beefs they're they're grown from grains and alfalfa and different things that are produced from seed um, it's planted from seed that was pollinated by bees so most of our food that we consume is linked in one way or another to the the bee industry so uh, some more some more so than others there's some some crops that absolutely have to have a bee pollinator right. a honeybee so so does i mean like does that ever scare like as a beekeeper as somebody you guys your business relies on bees you know what's going on you know how crucial they are do you guys, are you guys ever worried about what's happening to like do you guys is that like a constant stress in the background um i i i I am concerned about um you know, loss of habitat, um, loss, you know, the, it is harder to find places where you can put bees and, and, uh, fewer places where you can put them where they won't be exposed to pesticides and, and, uh, uh dangerous situations. As far as the bees going extinct, um, it's the honeybee, uh, it's got so many beekeepers that are keeping them going, um, that, you know, I, I don't see them going extinct. Um, now the individual pollinating the solitary bees, um, there are just thousands of those that are on the brink of extinction. Uh, they're being exp- they're losing habitat. They're exposed to pesticides, and there is no honey and bee industry to prop them up and keep them going. And so there are, and some of those bees have uh, you know evolved to feed on a specific type of plant. If that bee goes, that plant goes too. And so um, there, there there is some problems with that there. Do you know how many varieties of bees there are? Isn't it something like almost 20,000 different kinds or something? Yeah, there's a lot. I don't I don't know. And I think there's like 600 native bees in Utah yeah. too. But a lot of people don't know. They just focus on the honeybee. But I'd also yeah. like to clarify that's not why we're called the beehive state. <laughs> We get so many people that think that it's like, oh, where's all the honey farms and stuff? I'm like, that's not why we're called that. Like, it's just not. So... So I think also people don't know like the there's bees that will bury into the ground and leave like holes and stuff and they if they don't know that they're not going to look out for it and probably disturb their habitat. Yeah, we we ha- we had one of our uh, apiaries, uh, bee yards where we keep our beehives, and out in the dirt road right in front of where there was this 
a big uh, colony of ground burrowing uh, bees and uh, people would walk by and they would come buzzing out they didn't sting but they would buzz out and they left a a, made a really loud buzzing noise and they they kind of I don't know if they would butt heads with you like the the bee you're talking about but they would buzz around and circle around you and um it was a good defense because then it scared defense. people it scaled, and they stayed away. People thought it was my my bees and they would run away, and so it was kind of a, a, a you know a, it was a good d- d- defense, a good warning system for for my bees. It kept them away, and I didn't have to worry about people. It, it was in a bee yard that had been vandalized by yeah. youth repeatedly, like kids taking like sticks and pushing the hives over and it was curiosity and not being supervised and whatever but when those ground burrowing bees would go after people that frightened them and then there's been less problems in that area um i just i want to talk about this for a second now that you've brought it up the vandalism because i have been shocked at the amount of vandalism that you guys, in just the couple of years that I've known you, have endured. So I didn't know that people would come out and do that, but a couple of years ago, you guys got hit hard, like with intentional vandalism. Do you guys want to talk about that? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's something that it, it, pretty much every beekeeper has dealt with at one time or another. For for whatever reason, you know, the fascination with poking a hive with a stick, um, it's it's a favorite pastime of kids. I don't. <laughs> I, I did it. I did it to my. I did it to my dad's bees when I was a kid. You know, threw rocks at them and poked sticks at them, and then would run. Um, so I, I, you know, but uh, there there have been times where it's gone above and beyond the occasional you know rock that's been thrown to. Uh, like you mentioned a few years ago, we had somebody that uh, was old enough they should have known better because they were driving and they took a like a big four by four truck and just drove over the top of one of our bee yards. Um, there was 24 hives in that location. 15 of them were just destroyed. Um, we went and kind of cleaned it up. We rescued what bees we could and put them back into the into the boxes, into the hives. And um, it was a few days before we got them moved. And by the time I went back, they had come back a second time and, and ran them over again and finished them off and so it was it was and and you could see the tracks in the mud where they they had gone down there for that you know all the way from the the paved road about a half mile they went down there for nothing else but to run over those hives and then back out and then i i I want you to because this was what happened the domino that that happened on your guys's business was huge it like took you out for two harvests. Like I want you to kind of explain like when you destroy this hive, this is what happened for the rest of the season. Yeah. Well, it, it happened in the it happened in the fall. Um, nine out of those fifteen hives were were prepared and ready to go to California. Would, would have gone to California the next year for um, almond pollination. For, for, for almond pollination, we pollinate orchards there, and uh, we get about two hundred dollars a hive. And so, and then out of those same hives, um, those are hives that we can't split in this. Uh, you know, when they come back from. Uh, pollination those are hives that we can't produce honey on for the next year and it takes it takes a year or two for a hive to get established to get the honeycomb drawn out um and and these a lot of these hives it was brand new equipment uh, we had gone to the trouble of dipping them in wax they should have lasted for 30 years and uh, they were destroyed you know just 
overnight. And so, uh, it does have a, it, it does have a, you know, we, we have 300 hives. And so th- those 15 hives didn't put us out of business, but it does put a dent in our income and, uh, and it's expensive to replace that equipment. Yeah. And it was like, right when you guys, you had really made the jump to doing the honey full time. Yeah, we had, um, yeah, we had decided to, we were, we were down. We, we only had like 15 yards that we, um, that we were maintaining at the time. And we had just sold off a, a, a big portion of them. And so we just had just a, like a dozen left when that happened. And then the next spring we, we let go of the other, we had already made the decision to, you know, that was a, that was a really rough year because, um, we, ha- we got flooded that year we too. Got that there year was a too. flash flood in July and we had 18 hives. Someone called us one day after it had rained a lot. And he said, I was just out by one of your bee yards. Cause we keep bees in at least a dozen different locations in St. George and Washington. He said, I was just out by one of your bee yards and I noticed that it looked like some of your hives were tipped over. So we jumped in the truck and drove out there. And when we got out there, they weren't tipped over. They were buried in three feet of new sand that had washed out of the canyon out Washington down road and had literally buried alive 18 hives and we went out there and dug them out and we lost we lost some of them we were able to save some of them some of the equipment was damaged from that but that had happened in july and then in november we had a 15 more that were run over and it, it, it was interesting because it all happened like we had just sold off a portion of our business and then they got flooded and then we sold off a portion of our business and then they got vandalized within just a few days or a week after we had sold those parts of our other business. And we kept going, maybe we don't sell off the yard care business. Maybe we need to go longer. And, and, and then we decided, you know what, if we don't do this now, we're going to just keep putting it off because it's never going to be the perfect time to, to make the transition. So we just have to do it and, and just believe that we can make it on just bees. Jeez. Were you able to find out who it was that drove over them? No, we, we did never find out. Yeah. That we, kills we, me. We kind of, yeah, it became stressful and it was, it was hard to just hang on to that, the, the bitterness and the anger. The anger. So we, we just, we just stepped back and kind of walked away from it. It was for, for us, if we were going to find something, we were going to have to put uh, a lot of time and money and effort into, um, you know, either a, a private investigator or uh, putting pressure on the the local police force. And uh, there, right now, they they were just so overworked at the time that beehives were just low on the priority. So, man, but it's been what two years since then, and there hasn't been any more. No, there, there's been more vandals. Yeah. Oh, no. No, it didn't stop. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no, it didn't stop. No, we haven't had anything real big. We had another location where we actually, um, uh, there's, it's not the first time we've had vehicles that were used to run over highs, but usually they just, you know, bumper up and push, use the vehicle to, to tip it over. Um, they don't just actually drive over the, I'm, I'm surprised. I, I, somebody has probably got some damage to the underside of their vehicle or something. That's what I was thinking. I was like, those boxes, when I saw the pictures were demolished and they were heavy duty boxes. I was like, 
there's no way that didn't tear up your car or your truck or whatever. So, yeah, and we, we, we've had them where, um, you know, we, we have to keep our bees in, you know, so that we keep the peace with the neighborhoods and people. We, we keep them in remote locations. Um, it's, it's hard to find locations that are fenced and protected that are remote and that will are suitable for that. Um, and because we've been expanding, we've been forced to put them in places that are probably a little higher risk than we would like. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've had hives that have been shot. Um, you know, people have gone out target shooting and, and just filled them full of holes. Um, you know, we've, yeah, lots of rocks and sticks and hives that have been tipped over. Um, and so it, it's an ongoing thing that it causes us, uh, a lot of problems. So, but we've, we've got some, just so you know, we've got some really good, uh, trail cams now. <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> Which leads us to <laughs> trail cams. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, these, these cameras, uh, you, you can get them. They're just so small and they hide just about anywhere. And uh, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, somebody's going to yeah get in trouble if they try it again. So that just blows my mind. I never in my wildest dreams would ever think to like harm a beehive. Yeah. Because first it's terrifying. I'm like, oh my gosh, if you hit a beehive, they'd go in through your... I just can't imagine like the swarm and then for years it's been nothing like but we're losing all the bees you know we're losing the bees the bees are gone for years for like five years so you're gonna go out and intentionally drive over beehives you know I, there's there's been a few times in the last few years where I've heard of uh, cows that were out on the range that were shot uh, you know for sport too, or something yeah. like that and Pound for pound, honey and bees are worth as much as beef, and yeah. people don't realize that. And so, I mean, when they when they kill a beehive like that, it's it's just like shooting a cow. We rely on it for our livelihood, just like a, a farmer would on his cow. I think it's children not learning, being taught respect for other people's property that you would steal, vandalize, or damage someone else's property is just not having respect for other people, other human beings, and being respectful of other people's hard work. You know, and I, I, I mentioned that as a kid I did it, but I actually went and asked my dad if I could do it first. <laughs> Can you go throw a rock at your bees? Yeah, it go was, try it. it was See what happens. It was a swarm of bees that landed on a tree branch that left one of his hives, and I went and told my dad, do you want to catch that, or are you going to go catch that and put it back in your hive and and uh he's like no i i don't have time for it we'll just let it go and and i said well if you're not going to do anything with it do you mind if we throw rocks at it (laughs) and he just kind of looked at me like really you know and he's like i guess whatever floats your boat but if you get stung don't don't come crying to me and and we all got stung yeah he was probably like this is a better learning lesson than anything good teaching moment Yeah, the, 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 he's probably waiting at the top of the hill watching. He's the, like, I don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> we would throw the rocks and the sticks, and the dogs would go fetch it. And then when the bees would go after the dogs, the dogs would come running back to us, bringing the bees with them. And we would all run and pile into the river and 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 try to get away from in the water. And That's what happens when you have eight rambunctious boys on a hobby farm. Eight boys. That that's, would be trouble. Yeah, that's a football team it was wrestling oh oh my gosh oh my goodness 
what's the process like of maintaining the hives and harvesting the honey? And the the process of uh, managing the hives, it's you know, um, it's it's that's hard to sum up. It, it, it's a it takes all year long. No, I think that's a good point. It's all year long. It is. It, it it's all year long. It. Uh, if there's some, I have beekeepers that they lose their bees and they tell me, well, their bees died. And I said, well, did you do this? Did you do that? And I, no, I didn't. Or we didn't get to this until there's something that needs to be done with the bees pretty much. It's not necessarily, if you have a couple hives, it's not necessarily time consuming, but there's a certain amount of, of time and education and timing that is required um, to, to, to keep the bees healthy. And if, if there's, you know, a time of year where like I don't have anything to do this at this time of year with the bees then there's probably something that you're neglecting um and so I mean that's people will go buy a horse or a dog and if they were just to go put it out there and not feed it or water or do anything with it it probably wouldn't live very long bees are for the most part are fairly self-sufficient and it allows people to become complacent and and neglectful and after you know a couple months go by they go out and look and like hey they don't look as good as they should you know by then the damage is done so uh, you have to uh one of the big problems that beekeepers really have to keep track of now is their, their the mite levels how many mites the hives have in the in them and it's it's an ongoing concern for every beekeeper. You know, uh, what what's the mite count look like? How many mites are in my hives? Um, the mites themselves are destructive to the bees. They they feed on the bees. They they punch holes in their bee in in the bees and uh, as they feed on them, um, as they're feeding on them while they're developing, they they de- cause deformities in the bees that um, shortens lifespan. And and to a bee, this might I mean it would be like having a blood sucking parasite the size of a cat on us oh my gosh and so it, oh my it, gosh it's amazing. that's an image yeah, yeah. good job it's, it's, yeah it's <laughs> bringing it home it's amazing that they survive as well as they do but the real problem isn't the bees feeding on them or the, the mites feeding on the bees it's the diseases that the mites spread oh. and so if um with, with with the mites came a whole bunch of new viruses and um once the once the viruses start to spread through the hive, um, the, the hive just starts to kind of collapse down on its own. So um, it, we're, we're, you just kind of have to keep on top of the mites. You have to, um, the other thing, we live in a dry climate. Um, and a lot of times, uh, you know, this year, last year, we had long dry periods of the year. And you really have to watch and make sure that the bees are getting the nutri- nu- nutrition that they need. Yeah. Um, they, they, they've got enough pollen in the hive, that they've got fresh nectar and stuff coming into the hive. If they don't, they need to be supplemented or they need to be moved to a location where there is feed. Uh, a bee's immune system is heavily linked with their fat bodies. So a fat bee is a healthy bee. They don't have, they, Did you if, hear that, everybody? Yeah. <laughs> fat bee is a healthy bee. <laughs> you need to put that on a shirt and sell that at the farmer's market. Yeah. Bread's bees. <laughs> fat bees are healthy bees. Yeah. I would buy that. 
So yeah, it, it really is. Um, every year that the hives that are the, the heaviest that have the most pollen stores and, and the honey there, the, those are the ones that survive the best. Even, even if they were the last ones to be treated for the mites, it seems like it's the ones that, uh, have the most feed and that got the best feed. Um, and, and, and there's certain year times of the year that's real critical. We're, we're going into that time of year, uh, August, September, as they're raising bees that have to survive the winter, um, um, those bees have to be able to live longer. Um, and so they they put a lot of extra energy into those bees. If the bees' immune systems are compromised, if, they're, if the hive is infected with viruses or they don't have the nutrients they need, those bees won't survive the winter. And then the beekeeper goes out and looks at his hive in the middle of the winter or next spring, and it's empty, and they're like, where'd my bees go? Oh, they died of viruses and... and and malnutrition, even though there's still food in there, they didn't have the food at the time when those bees were being raised, those bees that needed to be able to survive the winter. So uh, I just have a quick question. So yeah, the last couple of years, we usually get monsoon season here. We're on the tail end of that southwestern monsoon that comes up from Baja, but we haven't gotten it at all We haven't in the past two or three years. So you guys have, how's the, so that water, you guys have helped totally readjust with that I, I i just don't count on wildflowers in entirely um in the spring they'll, they'll be in the desert um and uh but as the first chance we get we bring them in around the waterways and irrigated fields and stuff that uh, will provide a more consistent food source for them you know i, I get people that are out towards um veo and enterprise and it's very dry out there um there's not a lot of agriculture culture the agriculture that is out there they it's alfalfa that's being cut before it blooms and uh, bees don't really get pollen off of alfalfa so um i've i've found that a lot of bees will starve to death out there um it looks like good forage but they need a lot of flowers and flowers only bloom where there's water and so yeah the, the the dry seasons that we have and i've i've kind of been over the last 20 years i've both as a yard care and as beekeeper i've kind of kept track of the the rainy season in southern Utah, we do have that monsoonal rain, but we kind of have a rainy period, and it's not stable. It seems to stay for four or five, six years where we get our rainy season in the summer, and then it shifts, and we get our rainy season in, in the winter. Mm. And so the last three or four years, we've had the rainy season in the in the winter, and we'll get all of our moisture in the winter, which is actually probably better because then we get the snowpack. Um, when we get it in the summer, a lot of it just kind of evaporates off and dries up. So... But we haven't been getting a good snow bag. Yeah, this this year we didn't too much. It was, um, yeah, it was scary. Yeah, which is why we got all the fires. So is, yeah. with the fires coming through here, we we get we've had the fires because we've had a good wet winter and spring, but then nothing else, not yeah. a drop after, and so it you get all the spring growth. Yeah, and, and that all dies. And but then, then dies. will that like so. will all of that acreage being burned? Will that affect you in? In the coming seasons, or no? Because you not, just said you don't really rely not, on wild. No, not it won't affect us too much. In fact, there is um, oftentimes after a burn, um, there it, it opens the ground up for 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 new flowers and new plants. So uh, there is some benefit to the fires in uh, opening that up. In fact, I've I've had a, a couple of people that have recommended uh, some of the burn areas up around Pine Valley and stuff. They say that they came in and reseeded a lot of that with alfalfa, oh. and so. 
So, and it's, it's not being cut obviously because it's out in the woods. So I thought I need to see if I can get my bees up there, you know, but so there's, there's a lot of plants that will only bloom after, after a burn. And so that's good to know. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you found this podcast, especially on iTunes. If you have a specific question that you would like to ask us or our farmers, makers, or educators, send us an email at podcast at mofacoutah.com and let us know. Another way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporting member starting at only $2 a month. We have different levels of membership that grant access to special members-only swag like shirts, hats, bags, magnets, and stickers that show your support for your local community. To learn more, please visit mofacoutah.com slash podcast slash support. Make sure you are following us on Facebook and Instagram at Mofaco Utah. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back in your feed in two weeks. But until then, we hope, hope to, to see, see you at the farmer's market. The music for this episode was created by Southern Utah local Jake Shepard.